1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
0: Late Lunch LMFM Radio and we're heading to the other side of the world now, Australia to be precise. And I'm joined on the line by a former palliative care nurse and health policy advisor who now works as an organisation development consultant, Lee McInerney. Welcome to Late Lunch.
1: Hello, Jerry. Thank you very much for having me.
0: I'm delighted to have you because an article you wrote recently in the context of the coronavirus has really rung bells with me because you're talking about the grief that people are experiencing this time uh, in their lives. And like, Lee, normally we associate grief with the passing of a loved one, with perhaps the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, etc. But now, coronavirus... Talk to me about this grief that people are feeling.
1: Well, it started really in noticing it in myself, Jerry. Um, two months ago here in Australia when the lockdowns all began. And it wasn't immediate here. It sort of was a bit gradual. And then all of a sudden the government's moved quickly and went, we have to go hard on this. And But I was very aware of it, I suppose, because I have a public health background as well. And I thought, oh, this is this is looking nasty. And I was just noticing, you know, my own fear in shops and that of like, well, oh, hang on, you know, what if they had it? Or what if I've got it? And I'm giving it to somebody. So I came home from a just a normal shopping ep- episode on a Saturday feeling very, you know, I noticed I was feeling kind of sad, but feeling cross and a whole bunch of strange feelings. And I thought, where's all this coming from? And It reminded me of grief, and I was actually talking to my dear neighbor and said, You know, this is what I'm noticing. And he said, Oh, I'm noticing the same thing. And so then that's when it occurred to me that this could be grief, you know, this, I mean, there's everything else is happening with this, um, with coronavirus as well. Like, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear for us for many of us, um, but also in that we're losing things. And that's what happened. I sat down and I went through, what is it that I'm losing here? And, you know, for me, they were little losses, really, like not like the big losses of when you lose somebody you love, and I'm conscious that that's happening for many people. Um, So, yeah, I then turned, when I realised that, I turned to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work. So she was very famous for really beginning to talk about grief in our Western world. Um, and kind of map out the nature of grief and the emotions that we can go through when we're grieving. So, yeah, that's what led to me then reflecting and writing that piece.
0: Personal experience, personal feelings that millions of people around this world are experiencing and going through at the moment. Now there are five stages to the grief process. You might outline those for me because I, I, I want to talk to you about those and how they come in and out of our lives. They just don't happen in sequence.
1: No, they don't happen in sequence. One of the things I finish off the article saying this, Jerry, and it's very important to um to make that clear. It's it is just a model of reality, it's not reality, this this grief process. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who developed it, knew that well. Um, But what she did see was that we tend to go through these similar emotions, but not necessarily in order. It's actually quite haphazard. And so if you just yeah picture those five main emotions she was talking about, and you're kind of in this big U-shape curve. And you go into the curve at the beginning of feeling a loss. And you can kind of, I don't know if this is working as a picture, Jerry. help me if it's not, but you can be in the middle of that curve of the different emotions and jumping around. It's not like just a line where you go one, two, three, four, five. It's much more chaotic than that, really. And it varies for, some, you know, everybody's different. So um, I, the, the five different um, stages that Kubler-Ross talked about were denial. So for a start, we go, oh, this isn't happening. It's not really happening. Um, And then we might start to accept that actually it is happening and then we can start to feel angry because it's like, well, this is a big disruption and I really don't want this, you know, this is really getting in the way of me living my life. And so we can feel those sorts of feelings. And then there's another stage that Kubler-Ross saw, which was she called it bargaining. Other people call it exploring. But it's when you start to go, well, maybe if I do this or maybe if I do that, then this won't be so bad. And if you think about coronavirus, it's like, well, if I, you know, do, if I stay home, like they say, then I'll be safe and my loved ones will be safe. Um, so there's kind of this bargaining, exploring thing that goes on. And then another stage that she saw was sadness, you know, and she also referred to it sometimes as depression. But um, you don't want to kind of get too hung up on the words, I suppose. But it was this feeling of just this is really happening and I actually feel really sad about it because I'm losing lots of things. You know, for us with coronavirus, there are people who are losing their lives. Many of us are losing our livelihoods. That's happening a lot here in Australia. I imagine it's happening there as well. Um, And yeah, the losses, you know, can seem there's there's a lot that's happening, um, little and large. And then what Kubler-Ross found was that that at a point, some people can move towards what she called acceptance, um, which is, yes, this is happening. um, And I may not like it, um, but it is the reality. And so now how can I make the best of this difficult situation? And one of the things I'm seeing a lot of here for us who have lots of little losses, if you like, if I can put it like that, is that people are finding the silver linings in this. You know, um, the technology is bringing all sorts of possibilities um, for us. So, you know, there's that thing of like, okay, well, you know, I've lost the world that I knew um, the way it was, but now there's all these other things. So now can I start to adjust to that?
0: Sorry. and and that reflects I have to say, you might be in Australia, but it's similar the world over, and what you say there, the silver linings are immense and so many that people may not have realized that they had in their lives in the past. But but mm. here's the thing. I, I'm sure governments the world over were hoping that people would move through this process as quickly as possible to arrive at the acceptance so they'd mm. uh, abide by the, 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 the regulations mm. and what they've been asked to do.
1: You know, I think if you're experiencing a big loss and it's causing grief, because that's the kind of definition of grief is a response to loss. Um, and... Um, that you kind of in a way hope that you can just jump from you know here it is to oh now I've accepted it and you know life goes on but yeah. we humans don't work that way I mean we have to go through the emotions and um it's helpful if you if you can and I suppose that's why in the piece I wanted to talk about when I remembered um, studying Kubler-Ross's work on grief when I was a palliative care nurse and then also working in system reform that you know, what is it that helps people to make their way through, you know, this process? Mm.
0: What should the health people who are giving us all the recommendations and guidance and our political classes and governments who, you know, are implementing what they're recommending to them? And then, of course, we have the law uh, when it's required to force people mm. to adhere to what's been asked. What can help? What, what are a few pointers for those uh, people?
1: Some of the things that I cover in the piece, and when I went back to the textbooks, again, this is a model, Jerry, and people will behave how people behave, you know, and some people will resist, um, you know, good instructions and uh, some people will be more kind of abiding of of that. But what i found was that people need good, honest information about what's happening. Um, I know that when this was first breaking as a pandemic, and maybe it was about the same time in Ireland as it was hitting here in Australia. Our government struggled a bit with clear messages. And I think a lot of governments probably did. I did watch Monica, my sister who lives in Ireland, um, who you know, Jerry. She mm. put me onto your um, Taoiseach's um, talk, his Speech to to Irish people, and he was very clear about what needed to. So it seemed to me what needed mm. to happen, and what the situation was. And he was he acknowledged the difficulties for people, um, that this was going to be difficult, but that we need to do it because if we don't do it, then the you know the repercussions will just be awful. So that kind of clear, honest information about what's happening is really important. The other thing is that most of us need a why you know, like, well, why do I have to stay at home? Um, Why can't I go and cuddle, you know, my granddaughter or um, all those sorts of things? And if we have a good why, um, then that will make many of us be very law-abiding, you know? It's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense that I do that. The other thing that's helpful is just being, you know, if our governments are clear with us about what they don't know yet, and I think they're getting better at doing that. I don't know, again, over there, but here... It was hard for governments to actually say, look, there are things we don't know yet. I mean, they kind of thrive on certainty in a way. And this is the big challenge with coronavirus. There is a lot that isn't certain um, yet. Like you were saying, I believe in Ireland that, um, what, is it that your, your restrictions are easing on the 18th of May. Is that right? Yes,
0: that's right. So we, we now have a roadmap between May and August in five different stages where a society yeah. and a business community will reopen.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, lots of governments are learning, you know, how to do this and how not to. Do. To be fair to them all, we've never had this in our lifetime, have we? So there's, there's heaps for people to learn. And look, I know with the Australian government, Jerry, they were, they bumbled a bit, you know, in the beginning. And then there was a bit where you could see then it was like they go, oh, right, now we know what we're doing. Okay. And it kind of shifted after maybe a few weeks. And of course, here in Australia, we live across the ditch, as we say, from New Zealand. And um, have you had many reports of the New Zealand Prime Minister and the way yes. that she's managing the communication? Yeah, Julian
0: Ardern, she's done a brilliant job there by the looks of things from afar looking from there. But you talk about being across the ditch from New Zealand. We're across the ditch from uh, the United <laughs> Kingdom. Uh, and, you know, it's in, on a very serious note, they are their numbers and mm-hmm. they're the highest number of fatalities now in Europe. So that's a real worry for us being neighbours, you know what I mean, as well. Whereas your relationship with New Zealand is interesting. New Zealand has done brilliantly well. But while we're on it, just looking at the Australian situation, you've only Mm. had, uh, as we speak today, less than 100 fatalities, Mm. 6,850 cases. Your Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and his government have done well in a population of 25 million people. Yes, look, we have been very lucky and... Um, I think our distance is probably
1: a help there, Jerry. You know, we're an isolated mm. island, you know, on the mm. from your perspective on the other side of the world. Um, the other thing that um, I think has been really helpful here is we've had the Prime Minister, but Australia is made up of six states and two territories, and each of those has a Premier or a Chief Minister. And the Premiers have actually been very strong, um, and that's probably stood us in good stead as well. And they even did things like um, block the, you know, close the borders between states for a while, to just limit travel, you know, as much as possible. Yes. Um. So, so you know, and we have got a good public health system. I think we're very lucky here. Um, I, you know, some of the things I'm hearing about the UK is the cracks in the NHS are becoming very apparent through, you know, perhaps inadequate funding for some years. I don't know
0: what your take on that is. We've had the same here. You know, we've had to take over the private sector. The public sector has taken over the private hospitals to release beds in the event of this pandemic becoming, you know, overwhelming for our public services. So that had to be done. And again, we're in the same situation, under-resourced, underfunded, for years and years and the chickens have come home to risk. So perhaps mm. you mentioned silver linings earlier in the conversation. This may be a major silver lining for us going forward with a much more robust and invested in health system. I'm here in
1: Australia with the practical support the government has been very good well look just before Mm. we
0: finish today for our listeners if this process how long is it how long is a piece of string the Mm. different aspects of it you'll feel from time to time eventually you may arrive at acceptance of it and I think a lot of people have I'm, I'm happy to say that but what would you say in a practical sense for people to just carry them through these next weeks and months
1: from my experience as a palliative care nurse, I think being gentle is really important. You know, gentle on each of us. Can I just share a quick story I noticed today, Jerry? from yes. my local street um, and the wisdom in the street, if I can draw on that. Um, so just up from where I live is, you know, a block of fruit and veg shop, bakery, grocery shop, all of that. I've lived here for 12 years. We all know each other well. In the first few weeks of this happening um, with the lockdowns, I noticed every shop I went into, you know, the shopkeeper, the assistant would sort of go, how are you? And I'd go, yeah, I think I'm all right. What about you? How are you? And it was this it really beautiful concern for like, how are you really? Are you okay? Because, you know, this is difficult and scary and, you know, all of that. We, that was when there were so many unknowns. And so there was this incredible kind of care for each other. Um, what I've noticed now, and I heard someone today ahead of me in the shop, because we're all standing far apart now, um, saying to the fruit and veg guy, you know, how are you? And it wasn't as kind of, um I felt like there's a spectrum of how are you, Jerry, you know, like in our normal normal day-to-day we go, how are you, Jerry? And you'd go, yeah, I'm finally, you know, and whatever. And, and then the other extreme was this, but how are you really, Jerry? Are you okay? And now we seem to be in the middle, do you know? <laughs> That's kind of what I'm noticing. So, you know, I think just, you know, this kind of, not forgetting that care that we've had for each other um, is important. And um, another thing, just going back to kubler Roth, I'll draw on her wisdom, but later in life, um, she actually, um, her five stages that, you know, she'd studied all her life, really, she added another one in a way, um, brought another concept in, which was about meaning. And, you know, it was kind of beyond this acceptance thing she talked about, but this idea of meaning. And I think that ties into what you're saying about what are we all going to learn from this down the track and what meaning can we draw from it ourselves? Um, Because it's a big, you know, it's so, this is the big stuff of life that we're all in the midst of and, you know, what can we draw from that ourselves in our own personal worlds? And just one other thing I would say is everyone's different and it's really important that, Um, I get it's sort of a bit worried about talking about models sometimes because it's very easy to kind of then somebody thinks, oh, I don't fit in that model, you know, and um, is there something wrong with me or whatever. And, you know, not everybody goes through all those stages in grief. Everybody does it differently. And it's really just if the model is helpful for helping you understand maybe crazy feelings, then draw from that. But if it's not, just let it go and find something else that helps you.
0: You've mentioned Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on a number of occasions. And ironically, (laughs) here on LMFM Radio recently, we aired a documentary called The Death Lady's Cottage. And it was about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who had a cottage in Omeath from 1990 to 2004. So she has big connections with us here in the North East, Lee. That is amazing, Jerry. How extraordinary. <laughs> Isn't it? Just one of those things. Faith has brought us together today to chat yeah. about this. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has been the link. Listen, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you on Late Lunch uh, this afternoon. Really wise words there. And I wish you health, happiness and safety going forward on the other side of the world in beautiful Australia. Thank you for joining me, Lee.
1: Thank you very much, Jerry. It's been lovely